Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Joe, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. Hey guys, just a quick disclaimer, as this is a technical episode, the content of this episode and all of my Sandra Joe's social media is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on any of my platforms constitutes as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by myself or any other third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or any other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction. You should always consider your own personal circumstances before making any investments or financial changes. Alrighty, enough with the fun stuff. Let's dive in. Welcome back for another episode of the Make That Money Honey podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing one of my close friends, Lee Hughes. Lee Hughes is an Australian entrepreneur and venture capitalist living in Vancouver who has had immense success and experience in venture capital services and commercialization of private and public companies across the globe, in particular in North America, Australia, and the Asia-Pacific region. Having been part of orchestrating over $300 million in capital across various stages of private and public companies, and during this time, he's helped create over $2 billion in increased revenue. In 2016, he was appointed chairman and CEO of Next Green Wave, NGW, established to produce and supply medical and recreational cannabis products throughout the state of California. Lee is the founder for more than 18 years of Converge, which helps clients identify opportunities for change in the fields of capital markets, marketing, strategy, and innovation. He works with clients globally and recently has engaged with numerous public companies in the US, Canada, Australia, and Europe. Welcome to the show, Lee. I can't wait to have you here. Thanks, Sandra. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is a very timely interview because there is so much noise going on in the markets and everybody's talking about buying the dip and, you know, we see markets mm -hmm. going up and down like crazy in January, December and January. So let's just touch on that quickly before we dive into some more, uh, you know, technical questions. What's your opinion on everything that's going on right now? Well, look, I mean, we can look at it from different lenses, uh, I guess, whether you know, you want to look at it as a retail investor or an institutional investor or a vendor or a CEO or, 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 a, or a PE firm, whatever. I guess, you know, I kind of look at the markets as being quite cyclical, it, obviously within the vertical that, we're that we want to discuss, but I think more so generally. Uh, in my experience since living in, in Canada now for four years, I have noticed that, you know, from the middle of December to, to mid-January, it is obviously people like to get cozy. It's cold. Uh, people go on either vacation to get away from the cold, go to their cabins, whatnot. I find that uh, and get family time, I think, which is important too. And people need a little bit of a reset, especially public companies. 
Uh, and also the bankers, you know, they'll have to have a break. Uh, find that, you know, mid-December to mid-January to me is just typically a, a pretty quiet period. Of course, we have seen in the last week or two a little bit more of an aggressive downward dip, if they're calling it, whatever they want to call it. Uh, uh, I guess softening of the market. I guess the the pressure valve has released, and we're seeing some um, liquidity, increased liquidity uh, happen on the sell side. And of course, it's probably not making our portfolios look green every day and and look as well as they have. But you know, I, I think I, I said this in Q4 last year. We, we've been really spoiled as investors in the last two years, uh, without really too much explanation that makes sense. You know, we're in the middle of a well, not in the hopefully we're not in the middle of a pandemic anymore, and we're at the end. But you know, you talk about this pandemic era of, of COVID, and you know, things have just gone gangbusters for a lot of our portfolios. And we, and again, you know, I think we've been spoiled. So I think a softening of, of the marketplace here in January to me is a lot more encouraging than it being in February or March when it's busy period. I think if it was, if this was still taking place or, you know, if the last week took place in a month's time or two months time, I think it would make a lot of people a lot more nervous than what they probably are. So, you know, I think it's probably a little bit too early to, to, I guess, find an explanation as to, as to why that a retail investor will really understand. Uh, Obviously there are explanations for it. If you want to look macro and get really granular with different instruments and, and financial mechanics that we're all obviously working on, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the buy the dip um, term, which is used a lot, which has been used way too much in the last six to nine months, by the way, I think um, uh, I don't really go off that off that term buy the dip. I think I'm still sort of looking patiently, and I'm really w- looking forward to small caps, um, large caps actually getting to work and putting the capital to work, which they've obviously been able to. Uh, a lot of them have been able to raise significant amounts of capital, so. You're seeing a lot of these small caps still have, you know, a lot of revenue or not revenue, but a lot of cash sitting there for money raised. So it'd be interesting to see how they can pivot a little bit, get put their money to work and and start marketing themselves. You know, let's call it say February's coming and uh, and hopefully see some some turn in investor sentiment. Um, hopefully I've answered that as, as, as generic as I can and, and hopefully for the viewership to understand. But the way I'm sort of playing it right now is I'm sort of sitting patiently and and yeah, sure, seeing the portfolio um, with a lot of the positions losing um, losing uh, equity, obviously in the in the broader position that I'm, I'm sitting in. But you know, there's there's always I have come from a little bit more of a, a long term investor mindset than that of a short term trader. So you know, I'll look at things like um, you know, multiple different due diligence aspects of when I'm looking at a company and why I want to invest or, or, or divest out and. Um, I think it to me right now it's it's patience and I like to let I like to give companies time to mature and also, and not like I said put their money to work and, and show us what what they're going to try and achieve and you know the first half of this year and then and then going into later in the year. Yeah, yeah, I I really like what you said about being a long term investor and not a, not a day trader or you know not looking at the short term because this is one thing that inexperienced investors don't understand and they'll panic sell as soon as they start to see the, you know, the index, the index start to drop or, or any of the markets start to drop. And, and it it has a domino effect on the entire market because it's emotional investing rather than logical investing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, most investors have been stuck at home. They've been, 
fortunate to have new trading platforms like uh, Robinhood and, 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 a, and a number of these other sort of places where, where, you know, the unsophisticated, inexperienced investor can go to, but then also be, you know, polluted with all this noise and, and, and all these so-called online experts that hide behind alias names uh, telling them to buy things and why, and, and, you know, they're listening and, and it's, it's quite scary actually. Um, you know, I like to, the way I sort of get around that, if there's, you know, I like to go to the industry experts. I like to look for who are the market leaders uh, in a particular vertical. Like if it's biotech that I'm interested in as a category, you know, like go and immerse yourself with biotech experts in Twitter or LinkedIn. It's very easy to find them just to try and cross-reference a lot of the things that you might not generally understand. I'm talking about a retail investor here, you know. Um, I think a lot of people have done it really successfully. But like I said, with um, increased exposure to new products uh, and new ways of making money, you're always seeing the, the FOMO chase the MOMO, the momentum, and sometimes that's too late. Uh, so, you know, I'm... The way I look at it is I look at it from, you know, I've obviously, I've obviously had a lot of experience. I've learned from a lot of stupid trades, stupid investments, getting out too early, following the, the market trend, what you see on the news, which might not necessarily be what we want to hear or even be accurate from that, from that perspective. So, you know, like I said, I, I like to sort of revert back to, you know, who out there are the ones that we really need to, you know, that I need to be, be listening to or, or researching, uh, subscribing to their newsletters, to their expert opinions, you know, look at SMEs or sorry, subject matter experts of a particular field and, and really get granular before making some, sometimes a, a, a non-executive decision to, to sell or to buy more when it might not be necessarily the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one thing that I have talked about many times, especially in my money mastery course in, in the investing section about, the importance of doing your due diligence before you start investing in something and not investing based on hype, because if you don't understand it and you can't explain it, then you're never going to know when you should be selling or when you should be buying yeah. because you don't understand the industry or the concept or, you know, things to look for. So yeah. like you said, you know, following subject matter experts and, and doing the research before getting mm -hmm. into different industries or something that's more small cap or speculative or whatever is hugely, hugely important. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, for our listeners, there's a lot of beginner investors out there and these investors are looking for ways to increase their wealth. But the problem is, is that we have this instant gratification mentality and the instant gratification is like, Oh, they want to get in for anything hot, but then yeah. they, you know, but then they're panic selling as soon as it starts to drop because we see, we're seeing these huge trends. Like, you know, what happened with GameStop a year ago, right? It, was, it went wild. And then, <laughs> and then just dropped as soon as, you know, as soon as it went up. So what would you suggest for the, you know, beginner investors that are listening to this, people that are starting to invest for the first time, like how did you first get into venture capital? And I know that's sort of two separate questions, but yeah. um, what would you, what would some of your tips be for the beginner investor? Well, I'll, exp I'll explain the first question. You know, you spoke about due diligence. So, you know, I guess 
for any new investor out there uh, or wanting to be a new investor out there that's thinking about getting involved, you know, one of the first things that I got told when it comes to, you know, investing in companies or, or trying to create yourself your own, you know, fund or whatever is treat every investment like it's it's a need decision. So like treat it like if you were going to buy your first home or treat it like if you were going to buy a first car, you buy your first home, well, you're going to want inspections done. You're going to want market research done to see if you're paying the right amount. You're going to want to know if council permission exists to be able to do particular things in that home all before you, before you even put an offer on that home. Vehicle, you know, you're going to go and go and to walk into Ford. You're going to go and have a look at multiple different models before you choose the model that you probably want to say that you're going to buy. Or you go in there and you buy one, but it's probably because you've done a lot of research, not because you saw it on, on an ad and you think it looks pretty, sure you might go and do it, but you're still going to do the work. And I think people need to really understand that doing that amount of work in before you make a decision to invest $100 in a meme stock uh, should be done. One, it, it, treats, it, it teaches you process. It, it teaches you decision-making. It teaches you how to make, not make the wrong decision. Or if you do make the wrong decision, learn from it. And, you know, you pick up a lot of things along the way. Now, if you're completely inexperienced, um, uh, that list of what do you look for, you're still probably going to say, what do I look for? What's that list? Well, again, I mean, again, it's very, very different and it's very unique for different types of verticals or different types of sectors or categories, if you call it what you will. So, again, I'll sort of revert back to, you know, who is who, who do I go to to research a a category. Well, like I said, I'll, I'll go to subject matter experts to begin with. I'll go to analysts. I'll look at real companies. I'll look at speculative ones too. I'll look at, you know, what valuations companies are. I'll look at how much cash they have. I'll look under the hood or like exterior, look interior. So I think, you know, obviously I'm not sure in your course, whether you sort of provide a framework for, you know, what due diligence um, questions to ask, you know, let's just call it due diligence 101. They certainly do exist and it's all about refining and constantly refining and, and calibrating that list so that every time you make a decision, well, you know what you need to ask yourself the next time you make it an investment to avoid making a bad investment decision. And, you know, you just don't learn that overnight. So I, I think it's, um, you know, I also look at, you know, risk profiles and everyone's risk profile is different and that's different according to what level of investor you are, how much capital you have to investing and how much you're willing to lose. So, you know, if you go into it with a little bit more of a conservative approach uh, to begin with, I kind of feel like that's, that's a good start. Everyone wants to make money yesterday. We all do. Um, whether you've got a billion dollars or, or, or a dollar to your name, I think you're always thinking about how you can make, you know, the next bit of equity for yourself. And I'm sure Elon Musk thinks the same. I think, you know, a, a first year student at university thinks the same. So again, I think we're all we all need to just constantly refine and craft out what that due diligence list looks like for you as your own person, and uh, and stick to it and constantly see it as an evolving list. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that you mentioned there, which I think is really important, is how much are you willing to lose? Because when we are talking about investing in a particular company. It's it's coming back to the concept of, of diversification, right? And if a new investor is investing in a handful of stocks that they are handpicking based on some knowledge that they have either done their research on, due diligence on, if they don't have a certain level of diversification, 
if that one stock goes under, they're going to have a big impact on their portfolio. And I know as any seasoned investor will tell you, diversification is one of the most important things about investing. It's almost more important than the actual companies that you're investing in. And when we talk about getting started, you know, whether it's having the the bulk of your investments in uh, or the bulk of your wealth in an index fund or in a super diversified managed fund or, or mutual fund, and then taking a percentage of your portfolio to invest in specific stocks in specific industries to just have a play with it so that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and going into, you know, one biotech firm and one tech firm and one pharmaceutical or something. And all you've only got three stocks yeah. in your portfolio, right? Because it's just, everybody wants to pick a winner. It's like horse racing. Everybody wants to pick a winner. And you would know this from Australia, right? It's, it's such a big, uh, such a big betting country. Yeah. But be, but you got to be prepared to lose the money as well. Yeah, and I think you know it's always it's always the case too. When you have a win, you wish you put more on that to make more. You know, so again, of course, it's it's a, it's a it's it's all about. I, I certainly go into it with a very rigid mindset now too. You know, versus open and and uh, and a little bit more and delusional because that's where you can sort of get yourself caught as well. But you know, I certainly I certainly make sure that I don't have any one investment more than a percentage threshold of my portfolio, no matter what it is, actually. Um, I learned, I've learned that the hard way yeah. multiple times. <laughs> so, you know, listen, I, I would suggest everyone listens to what you just said then uh, about diversification. Super important because you're right. You know, uh, you might be heavily weighted on energy right now, which is seems to be the category of, of choice. And uh, something might take place in the Middle East, which causes... Uh, price to that uh, price war or something like that and all of a sudden down she goes and you, what you're seeing is a very heavily weighted category become a pretty dismal uh, ble- bleeding slow bleed in your portfolio so I, I what you just said there is I think people should be listening to as, as one of the first you know real good tips of investing yeah yeah it's it's the beginner's guide really is just you know if you have if you have less than a hundred companies in your portfolio, you're not diversified. <laughs> That's sort of a well, rule of thumb, you know, even more like hundreds, but okay. So let's talk about how you got into venture capital in the first place. And, and for anybody who's a beginner investor, what, what venture capital even means. So how did you start this journey like 18 years ago? Well, Australia, uh, the beauty about growing up in Western Australia is you are surrounded by uh, it's a melting pot for, for real companies that are producing in mining. It's not just a, a producing state, but it's also a, a very speculative exploration state too. Uh, you know, you've got some of the biggest iron ore companies, gold companies, oil and gas companies. I'm making a name if you BHP, Rio Tinto, Woodside, Chevron, the, the, the list goes on. Uh, you know, so when you have that in your, in your CBD, um, it, 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 of companies to, to be exposed to uh, in your regular day-to-day environment, which it is, you know, you're, you're only one, you're only a, one degree of separation away from knowing someone that probably works for those companies or has worked their entire careers or their fathers have. So, you know, a lot of the state actually in, in banking or in marketing or in investor relations or public relations are quite spoilt with a really good set of uh, companies um, to, to, to work with. In fact, a lot of our learning and universities and our universities in the state too definitely references a lot of the, the capital markets arena. 
so, you know, I, I, I was able to, in my early 20s, work with some really good high quality partners in putting together a, a marketing firm, which uh, a lot of what we did was was transitioning companies that were um, communicating with shareholders via paper. I mean, old annual reports, booklets sit in your mail, like you'd have to pay a fortune to get it, all those types of things, or it cost the companies a fortune to to hope that me as a shareholder still owned my stock when I got the annual report and I read it, didn't throw it in the bin or didn't have it as a, you know, a coffee book. So I was working basically to try and change that to go from, you know, print to, to digital. So whilst doing that, I got to immerse myself with a lot of these big companies that had no digital strategy whatsoever in terms of being able to communicate with its, with its shareholders. It was very foreign, but obviously now it's just, that's just how it's all done now. So by doing that and by being one of the first, uh, I got to really get exposed really early on to big businesses like BHP, to exploration firms that sold assets to to big businesses like a BHP or Rio Tinto or whoever. So I got to really be exposed to the exploration side of companies, you know, just starting startups, you know, raising a few million dollars, going and putting drill holes in, you know, looking for a gold deposit to working with, you know, big companies that were producing. Uh, and then, you know, that was very early on and then had a lot of success with doing that and opening up the Camorra on the network and sitting actually in boardrooms and listening to some of these big companies talking about, okay, well, we've got this greenfield asset here that we know that is going to be a multi-billion dollar asset. How do we tell our shareholders about this? So I got to really learn the craft of M&A, uh, communication, uh, you know, sitting in the boardrooms and listening to some of these directors and, and obviously C-level executives discuss uh, governance and uh, um, board structures and deal-making and deal-matching. Uh, and I, so I guess subconsciously I was learning without really knowing why I was learning it. And obviously I got very fortunate to be working with really good high-quality people. And then, you know, as things went on and I started to realise the, how lucrative it was to actually be the investor, early investor in these companies or being on the other side of the table and being a vendor, I, you obviously realise that, you know, the, the ability to, 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 to make money on that side of the, of the boardroom is even more exciting uh, as well. So I just decided that it was time once I had, you know, pivoted out of the, the marketing side of the business to get involved on the on the funding, investing, uh, M&A uh, governance side of, 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 of the markets too, not just on uh, public, but also private. And, um, and, if, and I guess got very fortunate that my network has, you know, been really calibrated over a long period of time. And, and, I, and, I, and I feel like it's very trusty. Um, still make lots of mistakes, but the guys that are retired at 60 and 70 that have gone through all this too will, will the good ones will tell you that they're constantly making mistakes i think it's just how you you learn from it that that that's uh that's key there but um and then moved to moved to canada four years ago to to really look at some of these new disruptive markets that you know the australian stock exchange of the asx is, is is extremely rigid it's it's very highly governed it's a it's a big board exchange i guess like the tsx here in canada your your room to move as a as a small cap company is is quite limited. Uh, you'll see that there's a lot less listings in in Australia. There's no venture exchange or CSE exchange. It's just big board only. So coming over here to Canada and seeing how, you know, 
the VCs and, and, and the funds operate here in small cap world and really getting to work with disruptors, uh, early stage startups, you know, even seed pre-angel, pre-angel, you know, angel seed funding, et cetera, is just at a whole nother level over here. There's a lot more exposure to it, much more exposure to capital. You're closer to Europe. You're obviously, you know, we're nestled right next to the US where a lot of the action happens. And um, and just decided that coming over here and 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 being a little bit more of a sophisticated VC now over you know with all the experience, uh, it was the right time. And you know obviously we got to March 2020, and everyone I think was starting to work out whether that was what what they were going to be doing for the rest of their lives. But like I said, we've then been spoilt for the last two years, and and uh, as investors we've. We've we've had really good opportunities to 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 be a part of these disruptive companies that have obviously come to the marketplace because of forced disruption because we're all mm-hmm. having to 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 adapt and change and and be diverse and all the things that you want to hear when you're looking at opportunities to invest and um you know so far so good yeah and and I know from you know other conversations that we've had that. You are super passionate about a particular, you know, a couple, couple different industries in particular. So I know biotech's one of them. Um, let's talk about biotech for a minute. What are some of the things that you are interested in investing in in biotech? Look, I've, I've been, I mean, I'm a, I'm a health, I'm, a, I'm just, I'm very interested in, in, in health at a macro level to begin with. Uh, obviously, um, that's, that's pretty critical to, to, to having biotech as, as something that's of interest. Uh, I mean, the things that I look out for in biotech now is just this explosiveness in, in new tech opportunities to really advance different categories. You know, like I know these these acronyms or, or, or words are going to probably sound a little bit not familiar to most, but, you know, genomics, genomic sequencing, you know, being able to look at uh, different ways to deliver vaccines, different ways to be able to use generics that, you know, really smart people back in the 60s, 70s and 80s have been able to obviously uh, invent, but, you know, new tech now that exists today can can maybe make them better. You know, obviously the vaccine world has been something of real big interest, but, you know, for me, I'm really interested in the oncology space. I really like, you know, the, the antibody drug coadjuvant deals that are out there right now, which are, you know, enabling um, more advancement in uh, the treatment of uh, or in the oncology category. I really like that space. Canada has been phenomenal for that recently in the last few years, like Trillium Therapeutics. I mean, I wasn't an investor, but just uh, really am a fan of their story. You know, a buyout, you know, multi-billion dollar buyout from Canada, you know, incubated here and done exceptionally well. You've got Abcellera in, in Vancouver and BC. I think it's Doug Jansen's company again. Not an investor, but a, a big fan. Uh, you know, I think there's there's been some amazing tech on the east coast with some with some private companies getting some really big Nasdaq listings and raising significant capital. So you know, COVID has really blown up that category. To uh, I mean, really, we we needed we needed serious advancement in in biotech. You know, we need advancement in tech, and I feel like the pandemic has forced a lot of that capital to go. To places where it's needed so you know if you're if you if you if some of these biotech guys have been pounding away for for decades decades and decades with with really no serious advancement taking place but geez in the last two three years we've just seen a, a boom in that in that space so there's a lot to look out for it's ex, it's extreme it's an extremely technical category and 
it's probably one for another podcast or two, but I really like biotech for that reason. And I think we've all become a lot more health conscious now, right? Everyone, if you haven't, then you've been living under a rock. Um, so, uh, and, you know, some of the gains that are, that are, that are being able to be had in that, in that category there are serious, but what you need for that is a long-term invest in mindset. You need to understand the life cycle of a biotech company getting to commercialization and you need to understand the speed humps that, that constantly take place as well. And yeah, so biotech for me is one. I like a lot of other, I like a lot of other disruptors too. Some of these other categories that have come out, you know, where like esports, for example, gambling, esports, gaming, it's really come crazy, you know, DraftKings and all these big businesses that have been able to really take advantage of people being stuck at home. I don't know whether gambling is the right thing to do there, but I guess just overall interest in how we engage with the sporting community, uh, the different products that are out there now to not only just throw a bet on the right horse, but engage with the business. Uh, there's so many different ways that we can communicate there, but I really find that I really, I just like that model because typically the average revenue per user is a lot more than the customer acquisition cost. And for me, I look at that as a fundamental metric. Uh, and, you know, you're seeing sometimes 10, 15 X ARPUs to CAC. And that's, that's something that I really like. So again, I mean, I look at the fundamental, uh, the fundamentals that make up a lot of these categories too, to see, are they just going to be fanfare or are they going to be actually turning into real businesses as well? You know, it's hard to overlook where blockchain and crypto and non-fungible tokens or NFTs are at the moment. Um, you know, that's one category in the last six months that I've not really said too much about, but behind the scenes, I've just been literally just researching. I mean, I was on, I was on two webinars yesterday talking about, uh, just listening about experts talking about NFTs and, and the different ways that the crypto world is going to engage with NFTs. And, and, you know, you're talking about the metaverse and you're talking about live e-commerce and how that's going to happen. So again, you know, if I'm not listening to two or three or four webinars a week, on categories that I'm interested in, then I need to make that up the next week, you know? So there's some, again, it's pretty hard to, to not fall in love with the ones that you just love because you love it. You know, um, I love sports. So I love, I love those um, businesses that, that might impact uh, viewers of, of sport and how to engage with sport. Like I said, um, shopping experiences, fintech, fintech for me is a, has been one that, um, I've been able to have a, re a little bit of success with and um, and whatnot. So everyone's different. Everyone pivots their portfolios differently. I pivot the majority of mine to to healthcare and biotech and have for the last three years. But um, that's not to say that that won't change moving forward. I mean, you're looking at categories like space tech didn't really exist. Well, they did, but no one really knew about them. You know, everything's you know. There's Starlinks going up every every day, it seems, rockets going up there and coming back down to earth again. So what a world we live in, really. Yeah, yeah. There's so many, uh, so many cool things happening right now. And I was actually just uh, listening to a podcast this morning that was talking about if you're not looking at crypto and NFTs and you know, you're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be falling behind because it's just the way the world's going right now. Yeah. And um what about, what's your opinion on, uh, I just while you were talking, I was thinking about it. I heard a concept of this, uh, what's it called? Um, virtual property. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Well, People me, yeah, the virtual land. <laughs> yeah. The, the metaverse. So um, 
which is what I was just explaining. So, or just discussing, you know, I've the NFT world with crypto and the metaverse. It's it's really really interesting. I mean, Nike. Nike have invested heavily in it. I mean, the Adidas originals have, you know, decided to jump on board the the Board Eight Yacht Club, which you know are these uh, freaky apes that look cool, that snoop owns, and uh, I think uh, who else? Gwyneth Paltrow just bought one yesterday. Steph uh, uh, Steph Curry, you know, like it's it's influenced obviously by the influences, of course. I mean, I think if you're lucky, you are buying a a cool ape. Uh, after the reveal, you might have, you don't even know what you're going to get, or you bought one ten months ago for four hundred bucks. Well, you're sitting on a half million dollars right now. I mean, you know, I think there's also going to have to be, uh, you know, and that's why I, I I I think also verticals can be cyclical. FOMO's really really took over in Q4 when it came to NFTs. I mean, it just did. No one really understood why they were making the money. Um, now, interestingly. The NFT world in the last three weeks uh, has really um, got disrupted by the marketplace. You know, Ethereum's dropped 50 percent, Bitcoin's dropped fifty percent. Now all of a sudden you got people really getting scared. Well, wow, did I buy that JPEG for too much money? Um, you know, so again, I, I always look for shakeups. I think it's, I think that's been that world has been shaken up considerably. But when a when a shakeup comes. I always find too that the scammers get revealed, okay? The the schemes get revealed, NFT schemes and 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 buying fake JPEGs and all that type of stuff. It's just polluted with it. Ninety nine percent of projects are just fake. So you know, because uh, now obviously there's been a price shake up and a market shake up. We're now starting to see the legitimacy factor. Okay, who's legitimate? Who's still talking? Guys that had zero followers online a year ago are now sitting with a couple hundred thousand followers because they've made. 400,000 on a JPEG they bought for $40 without really knowing. You know, a lot of them are a little bit quiet right now. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm I, a believer. I just don't know at what level yet. I still need to learn more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of feel like I'm the same. I, I keep listening to things and I keep learning about it. But as I mentioned before, I'm, I don't want yeah. to invest in something that I don't fully understand. And I'm learning no. about it, but I'm just not quite there yet. And, you know, just for context, because we have sort of talked about some timeline things that we're recording this podcast on January 28th, 2022, because, yeah. you know, by the time it's released or by the time, by the time you're listening to this, everything that we're talking about could have totally changed. So, yeah. I mean, we, we see, you know, even on a weekly basis, things can have big swings and big, um, big peaks and valleys. So uh, let's talk about your passion for the environment as well, because I know that there's a couple of things uh, when it comes to environmental sustainability that you're also, uh, you know, heavily interested in. Yeah. I mean, you, you drive a Tesla, so you're, you're already partway there. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some of that for a minute. Yeah. Uh, ESG, if they call it that, it's a, it seems to be, uh, you know, the, the clean, the clean category acronym. Yeah, again, I guess environmental sustainability over the last two years too is probably has has obviously come to uh, been brought to the surface a lot more than not. Um, you know, uh, hydrogen fuel cell batteries, uh, battery tech. Uh, obviously, people are a lot more aware of um, the sustainability of the environment now. I mean, you're seeing a lot of I think there was a company that just got financed 20 or $30 million last quarter, which is, you know, 
to clean up the ocean technology. I think that that's where clearly our population is going. It's obviously going to have to go towards, you know, making things a lot more sustainable, whether that's in um, how we get our, uh, how we create or drive energy uh, to, you know, how we clean, how, how we, how we keep everything clean. And, and, and again, I'm not an ex, I'm not, and I'm not an SME in this, in this field whatsoever, but I guess a good person to follow is probably Elon, who's been pretty vocal recently too. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, I know that a lot of Europe, a lot of the big shipping oil and gas uh, transportation funds in Europe, a lot of them have spun off some clean tech, you know, some money for clean tech. I know the big Norwegian sovereign funds did that, which is a huge indicator because they've, you know, some of the, they're some of the biggest in the world and they've generated a lot of their wealth of shipping oil and gas and transportation. So a lot of them have now spun out into, into clean tech. And I think that's just smart. They're obviously hedging that that's where it's going to go. And um, who knows, you know, the leadership, obviously, the political environment obviously changes a lot of that too, like we've seen in the US, you know, the different leaders like to pivot towards different things that they believe in. Um, but again, I think it's it, it's still a category that's pretty early for me. I'm still trying to understand or navigate through what tech is going to really be the future. I don't think a lot of people really understand or, uh, or on the retail side what it looks like either. You know, two years ago, everyone was investing in anything that had anything to do with cobalt. But now we are starting to understand that where cobalt comes from is not necessarily a very environmentally friendly place. Uh, you know, if you think about the DRC or, or, or whatever, a lot of these places are just getting pulverized by, you know, methods of mining that might not be able to, you know, be, aren't necessarily friendly for the, for the environment. So I think we've still got, a, there's still a lot, a lot of work to be done on the tech side. And, you know, you, again, Elon's a good one to follow. He, he's, Tesla seems to be pretty advanced when it comes to what battery tech's going to look like moving forward and what methods they're going to use for, for technology to, to, to move their vehicles. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you're seeing clean tech also now. It exists with, with the space industry. You know, they're looking at how they can the, – the reusable rockets. The re they're, they're looking at – well, they're using reusable rockets like Tesla because the, the amount of wastage – that and, and energy that's that's taking place in in the past is it's crazy. Uh, so you know um, they're looking at. I, I even saw something about um, there's a company that's looking at how to clean up the space space pollution, as it sounds. So as it, well up there. So I don't wow. know. It's a very very yeah. fast moving, very fast moving. Yeah, I think that's again going to be you know as we talked about before that. Uh, the pandemic sort of accelerated the biotech industry and and the amount of investment going into biotech and technology because all of a sudden yeah. the whole world had to shift. It's going to be I, I bet you it's going to be similar for in you know ESG because it, it, that's you know everybody's focus is on climate change and global warming and this and that right and electric vehicles. I I remember seeing something recently and and don't quote me on this but saying that the state of California is going to stop selling cars with like gas powered cars by 2030 or something. So the amount of plugins yep. that they're going to have to have. And that's my, that's my thing. I mean, I I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because 
you know, Tesla, if, if you look around Vancouver, every second car is a Tesla right now, but I just don't see a lot of charging stations. And I mean, they're getting rid of a lot of gas stations, but yeah. Do you th- do you think that there's going to be from a from an electric vehicle perspective? Do you think there's going to be a big push for c- competitors to come in and take over, you know, some of the some of the market cap from Tesla? Because right yeah. now Tesla's oh, got sure. a huge, t- yeah. it's got a huge dominance. But you know, I know Audi just came out with their e-tron. I see Porsche yeah. has got their Taycan, or yeah. Taycan. You know, there's a lot of electric vehicles coming out, and I think it's going to put a a big amount of pressure on the industry. Yeah, no, it will. And you know, when you think about uh, when you think about that space, you've got to start to think about like categories like you know autonomous mobility, where the tech involved in that, where you you know you can pretty much go to sleep and have a coffee or be on your laptop while you're driving. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Mobile connected devices obviously impacts it. Artificial intelligence impact is in, is going to impact it. I mean, 3D printing. Some of these, some of these vehicles are using 3D printing for for parts. Energy storage. Yeah, no, I I, com- I completely, I completely uh, share your thoughts there. I mean, I think Lucid is it called Lucid? Lucid. Yeah. I think that's another. I mean, the lineup for Lucid in Vancouver, I think, has been around the block for two months. Yeah, like it's insane. I mean, I know a lot of that's because you only had a certain amount of people in in with COVID, but clearly the marketplace wants a little bit of competition and there's going to be for sure. Uh, Tesla are obviously a leader and I think that's great. Yes. I own a Tesla. Would I, but um, do I look at others for sure? I look at others. Um, yeah. You know, so I think there'll be some healthy, some healthy competition in that space in terms of, you know, what vehicle you're going to buy, but think about all of the other tech that sits below it. And some, all the companies that have an impact on, on that. I think it's, I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as you mentioned, like driverless cars, it's going to have, you know, a big change to even the labor. <laughs> Think of how many, you know, trucking and everything yeah. could be replaced. Hydrogen, by... hydrogen fuel cell batteries yeah. now versus, you know, uh, nickel. And uh, I'm sorry, but I don't know the, the full makeup of them. I'll be not I'm trying to say. I mean, I'm, I, I've looked at hydrogen fuel for um, companies for a, a little while now and invested in a few. And that seems to be where that sort of clean green energy um, category comes from. So, yeah, I think the way that we obviously uh, utilize our vehicles in the next, or and even if we even have our own vehicle in uh, in a few years' time, is is going to be, I, th- I think, paved the way by where we're at now in this world today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we touched on so many great topics today. I feel like we're going to need to have a a re-record in a couple of months and see how see, <laughs> see how, how accurate we are. <laughs> yeah, see how accurate we are in twelve months' time or something, because it's just such an ever-changing world, right? I mean, even if we look back, just you know, twenty-four months ago, who would have thought that the S and P five hundred would have had like a twenty-six percent return in in twenty twenty, and like it was just crazy, crazy, crazy times, and and. Um, all of that. So I love that we had you on today. This was a great technical episode for our listeners. Uh, if you do want to follow Lee, you can find him on uh, Twitter. What, what's your Twitter again? Uh, it's Lee M Hughes. So M M for Michael in the middle. So it's great. Uh, yeah, just so I'll name. link it. Yeah. yeah. And then sure. also on LinkedIn as well, you can reach out to yeah. him on LinkedIn and uh, yeah. And this has been, this has been fantastic. And for those listeners that are wanting to, uh, follow other people that are subject matter experts. Go and take a look at who Lee is following on Twitter. Yeah, that would be a good place to do. start. 
Yeah, exactly. So That's whenever I, I want to, whenever I want to find, you know, who subject matter experts are, I always look at one person that I look up to and I see who they're following because that'll give you a yeah. pretty good indicator of, of who you got to watch. So thank you so much, Lee. This has been no amazing. And uh, yeah, we'll have to touch base soon about seeing if we're on track with what we <laughs> thought was going to happen. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey. 